calling all lovers of mystery and fans of a good story. If you haven't already heard me talk about June's journey, you're in for a treat. It's time to don your detective hat in this free hidden object mobile game that delves into the captivating journey of June Parker, a self-proclaimed detective on a quest to unravel the mystery surrounding her sister's untimely death. In June's journey, you get to play as June, deciphering clues and unveiling secret plots within thousands of beautifully illustrated scenes. And did I mention it's set in the glitzy 1920s? New chapters are added weekly, so you will never run out of new thrills to uncover, and you can also personalize and decorate your very own Orchid Island where the story takes place. How sharp are your detective skills? Find out when you download June's Journey on your Android or iOS device, or play online via Facebook games. Your detective journey awaits. Hey there, it's Rachel Ballinger, and I am thrilled to invite you to Rachel Uncensored, my podcast where I get real with my friends and celebrity guests, where we talk about all sorts of topics. From personal stories to hot-button issues, we cover it all. New episodes drop every Wednesday, so make sure you tune in on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, or wherever you listen to podcasts. Trust me, you won't want to miss out on the fun and candid conversations we have here on Rachel Uncensored. Realm presents The Witch Who Came In From The Cold, Season 1, Episode 31. Smichov, Prague, February 27th, 1970. 1. 2.27 in the morning, somewhere behind the Iron Curtain. Footsteps creaking on a wooden dock. Wispy tendrils of moonlit fog dancing on the river. A trench-coated figure lurking in the shadows. The muffled echo of a two-stroke marine engine, slowly growing louder. Maybe I should light a cigarette, Josh thought, just to complete the tableau. Binoculars. Butterflies in the stomach. Beads of sweat on the brow. Add a whiskey priest with a rotten tooth, and I could be in a Graham Greene novel. Even the Voltava had gotten in the mood, shrouding itself, much like Josh, in his trench coat. At least the coat served a purpose. The fog was pure affectation. Half an hour ago, he'd been able to see clear across the river. Now, the dock was an island in a silvery sea. Hell, they'd never discussed the possibility of pea soup. How would Dom find the dock? All their preparations all their precautions to keep the Reds off balance, and then, in the end, the river decided to throw them a curveball. It was as though the Voltava were patiently erasing everything beyond the dock to make him forget the outside world. He imagined this was how it felt to stand upon the banks of Lita. Well, maybe it worked both ways. Maybe it would shroud them from their adversaries, too. Dom had insisted on this extraction route, after all, and he was the expert. Somewhere on the water, still dozens of yards out, the two-stroke cut off in mid-putter. It became the faint creak of oar locks and the swish of oars. Dom was zeroing in, despite the fog. 
Josh suppressed a shiver of admiration. Guys like Dom and Alistair, guys who'd been around a while, they knew their business. It made him eager for the day when he was the experienced partner, inspiring younger officers with his confidence, impressing them with his stories. Oh, did Alistair have stories. Antlers, said a low voice on the water, closer than Josh had thought possible, close enough to make him jump. Goggles, a single word, low, controlled, confident. It pleased Josh to no end that his voice didn't crack. He sounded like he belonged here. A pause for triangulation. The oarlocks changed their rhythm. The susurration of water against a wooden prow. The boat drew closer. Then, barely more than a whisper. Peabody. Wabak. A creak. A splash. A boat hove into view, ghostly fingers of mist grasping at the gunnels. Dom stood in the prow like Karen himself. The classicist in Josh wished he'd brought an obble to pay the ferryman. But then again, how did it work when the ferryman retrieved somebody from the underworld? Ovid and Virgil were a little unclear on the matter of refunds. And anyway, Karen probably didn't wear cable-knit turtlenecks. Dom gave a single nod. Terse. Josh returned the gesture, and then he caught the loop of rope that came sailing through the fog. Calm. Cool. Like you belong here. Josh looped it around the bollards while Dom maneuvered the boat against the dock with barely a scrape. Then the senior officer crouched between the thwarts and pulled back a tarpaulin. His passenger sat up, blinking and looking more than a little uncomfortable. Ankyses, Maxim Sokolov. This is our stop, doctor. Dom whispered around the cigar clamped in the corner of his mouth. Maybe the cigarette wasn't such a silly idea after all. He ushered the defector toward the dock, steadying him against the sway of the boat. Josh offered a hand. Strong grip, he coached himself. Confident, steady, trustworthy. Then he hauled Sokolov onto dry land. Easy, Doc, I've got you, he said. And he did. Recognition dawned, softening the Russian's expression. Good. The more relaxed he remained, the better. Dom said, vehicle? Josh tipped his head toward the shore, where a replica police car waited in the shadows. All clear. Dom nodded. But rather than disembark so that Josh could release the lines and send the boat drifting downriver, he plucked the cigar from his mouth and tapped a dusting of ash along the keel and across the thwarts. For some reason, it reminded Josh of a priest thumbing a cross on the forehead of an Ash Wednesday congregant. Sokolov frowned. Why is he doing that? Good question. It wasn't part of the plan. Dumb? Everyone has their superstitions. Gabe has his flask. This is mine. Tap, tap, tap. Kinda like my trademark. A board rattled underfoot. Josh caught himself fidgeting. Relax, he commanded himself. 
We built an hour of slack into the timeline. We can afford 30 seconds. Still. As if reading Josh's anxiety, Dom said, I once made the mistake of not doing this. It cost me. More quietly, he added, not just me. And thus a ritual was born. Dom narrowed his eyes, shot Josh an unreadable glance. But it passed as quickly as it came. Got it in one. Then he was out of the boat, cat quick. Together, they unlooped the lines from the bollards and tossed the coils aboard. Josh pressed the heel of one shoe against the prow. Don't fall in, professionals don't fall in, and pushed. Eddies of fog swirled about the boat as it slid into the current. They hustled Sokolov along the dock, across a narrow riverfront path, and into the alley where Josh had parked the car between a retaining wall and the shuttered doors of a vacant wool warehouse. Josh tossed the keys to Dom, then bundled the defector into the back seat. Dom started the car and eased it into gear. Nice work, Toms. It felt good. Tanya ditched the car at sunrise, several blocks from the embassy. Throughout the night, she'd berated herself. The constant grind of dip circuit functions had left her tired and distracted. She'd neglected to load up on charms before attending yet another. Lazy. It was bad tradecraft. She'd had an inkling that Gabe and his comrades were up to something. She ought to have been proactive, prepared for anything, like Nadia. Instead, she'd burned all of the charms on her person before departing the Lichtensteinsky Palace. She'd had to do things the mundane way. When she finally caught up with the ambulance at its destination hospital, three minders and one conference attendee had received medical attention for the wounds and bruises they'd taken during the brawl. But surely more than four people had been injured. She was stippled with glass cuts herself, and she hadn't been one of those who'd lost their minds. Yet, where were the rest? So she'd done the rounds of all the other hospitals and clinics in the city. Two had received emergency cases overnight, but both had arrived hours after the ambulance pulled away from the palace, and neither of those patients could have been at the party anyway. Tanya was confident she wasn't pursuing a six-year-old girl, nor was she on the trail of a 75-year-old emphysemic Bulgarian man. Clinics and hospitals, she checked them all, working straight through the wolf hours. Foolish. Prague was too big for one woman, too full of places to hide an ambulance, too full of places to change vehicles, too full of places to stash somebody, somebody who didn't want to go home. But she'd wanted, needed, so desperately to find the defector's ambulance. If she'd found it, its driver, its cargo, its anything, she could have reported partial success to Sasha. But now she had to face him. The man who'd broken into her apartment, taken her grandfather's radio, and then played her and Gabe like pawns when they'd tried to retrieve it. Empty-handed. She'd have to look him in the eye and report a possible defection in progress, right under their noses. She was limping, she realized, and had been for a while. When she paused to recollect herself, the cuts on her arms and chest made themselves known. They'd stopped bleeding, but they hadn't stopped hurting. 
Her ankles throbbed from sprinting across treacherously frost-slick cobbles. More than once, she'd nearly crippled herself. Bruises mottled her knees and shoulders, thanks to several tumbles on those same cobbles. She'd called ahead. Comrade Komietsky arrived at KGB station barely more than 15 minutes after Tanya did, despite the hour. He found her at her desk, with one unshod foot hiked atop an open drawer, wincing each time she dabbed at the cuts with alcohol and a bloody towel. That wasn't the reason for his double take, she knew. She was still in her formal clothes, one of her dip circuit outfits. There'd been no time to retrieve her coat. Her wardrobe gave her few options for formal outings, and this one was tattered and blood-stained in a dozen places, a complete loss. Tatyana Mikhailovna Morozova, you've had the night. He attempted the same light tone that she'd endured for hours on end during her failed gambit to retrieve the radio. The voice he'd used when he'd threatened, indirectly, to have her grandfather killed. But the early hour, not to mention the heaviness of lost sleep, weighted it down. Yes, sir. At least you're not soaking wet. She blinked at him. What? You didn't fall in the river this time. Oh. Oh, no, I didn't. She made to stand. Exhaustion and pain made her wobbly. Sasha noticed. See it, see it, I insist. You're injured. Do you need a physician? She shook her head. I've already been to a hospital tonight. All of them, in point of fact. That got his attention. Well then, tell me about this night of yours, and why you had to call me before even bakers and birds start their days. Tanya shook her head. They were the only two in KGB station, and yet? We shouldn't talk here. Better if we speak privately in your office. In the vault, in other words. Had she not been looking for it, she might have missed his momentary glance of pure calculation. But it was there, if only for a moment. Face a blank mask, he went straight to his office and after a moment spent jangling his key ring, unlocked it. She followed. He didn't offer her a chair, didn't insist she take the weight from her poor, abused legs. Instead, he spoke as soon as the door was locked, sealing them into the Faraday cage. Tell me what happened. This wasn't the jovial uncle speaking. She'd awakened the guarded station chief. He dropped into the chair behind the desk, hard enough to make the casters groan. Fingers steepled before thin, colorless lips. He listened. First, she recapped her recent reports and the observations she documented regarding potentially unusual activity by certain suspected officers of the Western intelligence services. Then, she described the party, the brawl, her suspicions about the ambulances, her failed attempt to follow them. Quiet reigned for several long beats after she fell silent. His gaze strayed to one of the chessboards on the desk. Now the steeple peeled apart. He reached forward, gingerly, to lay a fingertip atop a rook. He held that gesture of contemplation for several seconds before withdrawing, leaving the rook undisturbed. 
careless indecision like that would have been penalized in a tournament match, she knew. But not, of course, in a correspondence game. A steadfast rule in one arena, pointless and unenforceable in another. It could be nothing, a misunderstanding, he said. It isn't. Sasha nodded. That was the answer he'd expected. They'll move quickly. Yes, they would. Now that the Westerners had their defector in hand, and they did, she felt it in her bones. They'd smuggle him or her out of Czechoslovakia and the party's reach as soon as possible. It's best if we work quietly. We could seal the borders, stop all trains, ground all flights, board all boats, but that would tip our hand. What at first she'd thought was the weight of lost sleep, filling his voice with gravel, she now recognized as the legacy of a late night spent with a bottle of vodka. It colored his eyes ever so slightly pink and made him blink at her just a bit too frequently, as though she and the world around her were blurry. His breath didn't betray him, not at this distance, but there were ways to disguise a scent. He looked her over again. Her current state didn't instill confidence, she knew, and he already had reasons to doubt her loyalty. Can you handle this? Of course, sir. What else could she say? We'll do everything possible to stop this. Again, he looked over the chess pieces. He didn't reach for the rook, but his eyes did. I meant you personally. Sir? If you, Tatiana Morozova, lead a successful counteroperation, it would do great things for your career. I would take it as my personal mission to ensure you received the credit you deserved. What was he on about? I've heard from Center. His gaze snapped away from the game, as if he'd chosen a move. You impressed them when you completed your delivery, despite Comrade Baikovsky's bungling. He lied. Stop the defection, and your star will rise. You'll be trusted to safeguard ever more sensitive items. Translation, do this, and maybe, just maybe, you'll get your radio back. The remarkable thing about chess, she reflected, was its openness. The board hid nothing. The pieces were there for all to see. Castles harbored no defectors. Bishops heard no secret confessions. So it was with this lie. You still have my radio, and you know I know it. But I have to pretend that I believe otherwise, that together we delivered it according to fake orders from Moscow Center, even though we both know that was a sham. I'm still bound to that fiction. That skein of lies is the only thing between me and Siberia. Even bleary-eyed and just a little bit tipsy, Comrade Komietsky was a grand master of manipulation. Tanya might have admired it, if it didn't frighten her so. My sole concern is my duty to the state. He nodded, simultaneously pleased and grim. Then I charge you with thwarting this defection. Use whatever or whomever you must, but act soon. 
It wasn't until she departed the embassy that she realized she couldn't go home. The key to her flat was still in the pocket of her coat, and that was at the Lichtensteinsky Palace. Island in Frigid Lake Superior. A fabricated creature birthed from the mind of a disturbed genius stalks the very people who created it. Ancestor by number one New York Times bestselling author Scott Sigler is a classic tale of science gone horribly wrong. Available wherever you get your podcasts. The construct fell apart at Nadia's feet. The nemesis and prey that had kept her busy through the night was now just so much rubbish. Damn it. A quick inspection confirmed her suspicions. The remains gave her no clue as to the construct's origin, nor its makers. She kicked the trash into the river, swearing. She chewed on the problem all the way back to her flat. The night-long chase should have left her exhausted. Instead, her frustration was like fire under a tea kettle. If she didn't let off the steam, she'd burst. To hell with it. An hour of sparring, if she could find a partner, or even a workout with a punching bag, would be infinitely more productive than trying to break down this wall with her forehead. She stuffed her slightly smelly workout clothes into a rucksack. Bundle slung over one shoulder, she walked the distance from her Khrushchevka to the embassy gym rather than take a tram. The more she moved her body, the more she could let her subconscious spin while her conscious mind slipped into the patterns etched into her brain by years of training. Watching for tales, scanning the street for anything out of the ordinary, keeping eyes and ears, and that indescribable sixth sense that any good spy understood but couldn't explain, alert to the usual threats. Nadezhka Ostrokina, ice operative, melted into the background, and in her steed stood Nadia, the KGB officer. Both ladies arrived at the gym without incident. Not even a clumsy pass from the handful of early risers she passed on the streets. That was vaguely disappointing. She had to learn not to scowl so fiercely when deep in thought. She would have welcomed a good scrap just then. She changed clothes and wrapped her fists. And then everything disappeared, except the rhythm of her breathing the sway of the bag, the crunch of sand beneath her fists, the bag's grudging absorption of each jab, the drip of sweat along the unscratchable expanse between her shoulder blades. The charm's behavior the other night became a dull discomfort in the back of her mind. It was like having something stuck between her molars, something no toothpick could dislodge. It wasn't until she felt the hand on her shoulder that she realized somebody had been calling her name. The unexpected touch of skin startled her. She whirled, fists raised and a scorching curse on her tongue. Tanya retreated so quickly she tripped over a stool, meeting the floor in an undignified heap. They glared at each other for a beat. Nadia shook it off. The itch in her mind was making her cranky. This wasn't Tanya's fault. She offered a sweaty hand, hauled her partner back to her feet. Sorry, I thought you were going to break my nose. Tanya righted the stool and plopped down. She rubbed her hip, her elbow, her shin, 
moving gingerly, a young pioneer charting a course across a topographic map of pain. Her arms were stippled with fresh scabs. You disappeared last night, Nadia panted. Words would come more easily as her heart rate inched back down. But her mind already felt sharper. Even an abbreviated workout had its therapeutic benefits. We need to talk. Something very old happened. Tanya nodded, sighed. I spent the entire night chasing it. A flush of relief washed through Nadia. Tanya had sensed it too. They were on the same page. They were still partners, still a solid team. And then I was in the vault, telling Sasha about it. The momentary comfort dissipated. Wait, why in the world? And then I immediately went looking for you. Did you tell Sasha? Tanya looked at her as if she'd gone punch drunk. Of course I reported it. Why didn't you? If there really was a... Here she stopped herself. She took a moment to scan the entire room, squinting into every dusty corner. They were alone. Still, she dropped her voice so low that Nadia had to read her lips. A defection, and I'm convinced there was. Nadia reeled as if slapped. No, as if the punching bag had snuck up and walloped her in the neck. What are you saying? Tanya blinked, froze. I, wait, you said something strange happened last night. You did. Nadia chewed her lip. Tasting the metallic tang of blood, she concluded, but now I have a nauseating suspicion that my strange thing is not your strange thing. Tanya deflated like a burst balloon. Elbows on her knees, she raked fingers through her hair until her forehead rested on her palms. There, she hunched in exhausted contemplation until Nadia thought she'd actually dozed off. Finally, her partner looked up. You first, she said, looking like she'd aged years in a few moments. When had she last eaten? Nadia shook her head. Not here. Let's go to my place. We'll talk on the way and then we'll make breakfast. We both could use it. They didn't speak again until Nadia had packed her gear and both women were bundled against the early springtime chill. Prague had yawned and stretched and come to life during Nadia's workout. They let the rattling of trams, the thrum of automobiles, the click-clack of their boot heels on the pavement, the dinging of bells over shop doors, mask their conversation. Nadia augmented the audio camouflage with a trifle of sorcery. She feared what might happen if Tanya attempted even the simplest magic in her state. There's something in the city. I've been sensing it off and on for several days. But last night, my charms went crazy. I spent half the night chasing a construct, a very powerful construct. It was on the hunt, but it petered out at the river around dawn. Nadia paused for emphasis. I've been thinking about what the American, Pritchard, told us at the Vishrad. Last night? Tanya frowned. And then, in a tone of unassailable certainty, she said, the golem had nothing to do with it. 
I can think of only one other possibility. They put the conversation on momentary hiatus while passing a trio of policemen milling outside a cafe. Tanya's wounds received second glances. But then, in response to her partner's frown, Nadia said, This construct. The only time I've seen anything like it was the night we made contact with Lata. Tanya slowed to a stop. Wait, I need you to be very explicit. Are you saying what I think you're saying? I'm saying, I think another host has arrived in Prague. And that someone, someone who is not us, has several powerful constructs scouring the city for it. Little wonder you were so confused when I said I reported to Sasha. Now what's this all about? That thing you said at the gym. Nadia's building came into view when they turned the corner. Her stomach growled. They picked up the pace to cross ahead of a tram. Trailing clouds of steamy breath like conversational chaff, Tanya explained how she'd spent the night. In the Westerners? Tanya shrugged. The British officer, Winthrop, I'm not certain about, but the Americans were definitely part of it. Pritchard started the brawl, I'm certain. Because they were extracting a defector. It's the only thing that makes sense. I'm telling you, that brawl was a distraction. They didn't speak again until they were safely alone and warm in Nadia's apartment, chewing on eggs and toast and a very unwelcome conclusion. Nadia put voice to it first. Draining the dregs of her tea, she said, I was wrong. Now I'm afraid our problems are related. Tanya sighed. The Americans are extracting a defector, who just happens to have arrived around the same time a new host appeared in Prague. Nadia slammed down her cup. Bonjour. You're listening to The Witch Who Came In From The Cold, created and produced by Realm, your portal to another world. Listen away. Hey there, it's Rachel Ballinger, and I am extremely excited to invite you to Rachel Uncensored. It's my podcast where I sit down and get real with my friends and celebrity guests, where we talk about all sorts of topics. And sometimes we might be under the influence when we do so. We cover things from personal stories to hot button issues. And it's the only place on the internet you can find an uncensored version of me. It's a side of me that you might not have seen before because it's not the most family or brand friendly. But don't worry, I'm still sort of slightly a decent human being. If you're intrigued, then make sure you check it out. New episodes drop every Wednesday. You can find it on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, or wherever you listen to podcasts. Trust me, you won't want to miss out on the fun and candid conversations we have here on Rachel Uncensored. The Witch Who Came In From The Cold is created by Max Gladstone and written by Max Gladstone, Lindsay Smith, Cassandra Rose Clark, Ian Tregellis, and Michael Swanwick. Performed by Christine Lakin and John Glushevich. Directed by Dennis Keo. Produced by Julian Yap and Marco Palmieri. Associate Producers Corey Barton and Devin Shepard. Executive Produced by Molly Barton. Audio Production by Literati Audio. 
Audio editing by Evan Arnett and Fred Koch. Mixing and mastering by Jeremy Wesley. Original music by Katherine Anderson. Find more shows like this on Apple, Spotify, or wherever you get your podcasts.